As we go to the scripture this morning, um, particularly the second are really familiar words. We're reading from two different sections of Matthew this morning. Notice the first is a description of Jesus and what he is to be. Notice that the second is something identifying him and affirming him. But there's a lot of history between these two passages. But also notice what happens at the end. What God says about him. Hear now the word of God through the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus became aware of this, he departed. Many crowds, crowds followed him, and he cured all of them. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground, and they were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I believe it was a 1957 Farmall. And if that means something to you, then you know where I'm headed. If it doesn't mean anything to you, then let me explain it. It was a 1957 tractor. And I remember going out, and most of my high school and and early post-high school time was spent on this 1957 Farmall. It was not your up-to-date, enclosed, air-conditioned, MP3, beautiful cab tractor. It was an open tractor, fairly small, and it had one of those metal seats. Remember these metal seats that some of you have seen in pictures with holes in them? Until I was writing this sermon, I never thought about the holes and what the purpose of them might have been. 
I don't think I want to know. However, I remember at the earliest part of the season, the first of the implements that was attached to this farm all. And John, it was so great. John Tucker just got up out of his chair out here and suddenly came to the door. Why is that, John? Um, Because John John understands. (laughs) Was the weeder. And what the weeder was, um, it was, it's about 10 feet wide and it is um, a square, long square piece of metal that rotates backwards. Rotates backwards. Not this way as you're dri- if you're driving that way, it does not rotate this way. It rotates against the grain of the direction that you're going. And if, if attached correctly, it will be about two to three inches above below the level of the surface of the soil. Because the purpose of that is to grasp the roots of the weeds in that field, turn them over, and release them so that the roots of the weeds are upright. Because you want them to die. And you go around. Now, all this took place about, I'm thinking it was about 35 miles south of Spokane, a little community called, just outside of a little community called Spangle. There was nothing spangly about Spangle. <laughs> but I will tell you, the, the time that I spent in Spangle has been, was so important, and I'll tell about that in a second, is that Dorothy and I have even looked out far ahead toward retirement and thinking it would be kind of neat to buy a little farm out in Spangle. And I think the Bennett's are looking at me going, why? But, <laughs> <laughs> but then you're not done. When you're farming. By the way, as you go, and Spangle, because it's kind of on the edge of the Palouse, has a wind that is almost constantly blowing. And so as you are, you know, going this way on the tractor, this open tractor, and the wind is coming at you often from the side, you make these beautiful turns and go into to the next row. But as you turn, guess what happens? The dust is coming up and suddenly you are turning into your own dust. <laughs> Thus the reason I had to wear a bandana over my mouth and a hat pulled down close and bigger versions of glasses. Um, I was 18, 19, 20 uh, during this time. Uh, I'm sorry, I was 15, 16, 17, 18 during this time. And I didn't clean my shower. Every night I would go home and shower. My poor mother... And I apologize to her to this day because every time I came home and showered during that summer, guess what would happen? All the dust that I had turned into that day, which was caking my body, ended up on the floor of that shower. We could have planted crops right there every day. But then the weeding was done and a few weeks would go by and there were other chores that needed to be done. And then you would attach a different implement to the back of that tractor and begin to go along those same kinds of rows. And this implement would go deep into the soil, which by this time, because of the winters there, was somewhat compressed. And as you went deep, it would basically pull the lower part of that soil up and turn it over and cultivate that soil in a way that the bottom became the top. But what were left there were these big clumps of what felt or looked sometimes like clay. Hard clumps of soil. You couldn't leave it that way. You couldn't plant crops in that. And so the next piece of it was 
to till that soil in a way that it became this beautiful, smooth, almost granular kind of soil where at the end of that work, you could literally step into it and sink six to eight inches. Or if you took your hands into it, you could go even up to 18 inches. It was that loose and that wonderful. And you could smell it and you could almost taste it. And, and it was incredible, the difference between the weeder, the cultivator, the tiller. And then nutri- nutrients were added to that soil. And then, then it was ready to be planted. And those of you that have been in the Palouse, those of you that have seen those rolling wheat fields know the beauty of the fruit of that labor that comes out of that hard work there. But you know, you know, the work that goes into the creation of a soil that will grow that kind of crop. Those who have never been on a tractor, particularly an open tractor, don't understand, John does, when I say it was heaven. It was heaven. To be out in that out of doors and do that kind of work, there was, there was pieces of heaven to it that I think we now miss. That kind of hard work, we miss that piece of heaven. It's amazing, isn't it? And my children look at me when I say that word with craziness in their eyes, thinking how in the world could you call being caked in dirt heaven? Well, it's pretty easy because here's a place where you can see the fruit. You can see the fruit of that work. Heaven. It was heaven. And today we examine some of that. Today we see the soil that was the disciples. And particularly three of those disciples. We see the weeding and the cultivating and the tilling that happened, particularly with Peter, James, and John. And here we are again, emerging onto the mountain. And the last place we saw Jesus on a mountain was at the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a similar kind of event, teachable moment for these disciples as they venture back up the mountain, just the three of them, with Jesus. Jesus believing their soil is ready for what's going to be planted here. And we have that beautiful story of suddenly on the top of that mountain, Jesus begins to glow. And there's an aura about Him that is just incredibly beautiful. And suddenly there appears Elijah and Moses and there they are in conversation. And there's Peter being Peter wanting to be bold and saying, Oh man, let's build three temples. This is such an incredible moment. We've got to capture this moment. And so let's... Three dwelling places for these three godlike figures. God says, eh. And I love the description because there's suddenly these clouds begin to gather. It's like, it's like something out of a Charlton Heston movie. In my, and the clouds begin to gather. And suddenly out of the clouds comes this voice. And says, no, no, yes. No, you don't need to build a temple to Elijah. No, no temple to Moses. But the temple 
is here and it is found within my son, this child, in whom I am well pleased. And then you have the three most important words in that story. Listen to him. Friends, I am unapologetically a Christian and believe with my whole heart that Jesus is an answer for us. Wholeheartedly believe that. And what we have here is a story that describes exactly the fact that that's where our focus needs to be. If we're to till or cultivate or plant or become soil, we have to start here. That it is, it is about Jesus. Jesus is that bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus is that one who was able to stand in both of those places in the midst of this story. And God affirming that to say, this is the one that you need to follow. This is the one who carries my word. This is the word of creation now made flesh. The word made flesh. Listen to him. We are getting ready to make a turn toward Lent. We are coming together on Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, to begin to look at how our soil, the soil of our souls, is to be cultivated. We are in the midst of this time as a church where we're recreating the soil and tilling the soil again and already seeing fruits of that again. Dreams are beginning to be dreamt in this church. Some of it's physical dreams. Dreams like a renewed kitchen, or dreams like enhancing Friendship Hall in ways that will open up other opportunities for teaching and fellowship and and all kinds of things that can take place in there. Dreams coming out of the cards that I gave everybody around whether first service worship should be in here and the emerging dream of might there be some things that could be done in here that would enhance our ability to worship. Dreams. But dreams aren't stopping there, these seeds of dreams. Things like health have emerged as a focus. Things like offering yoga classes, twice a week even, for anyone in the church who would like to come and experience that depth of health. Spiritual health, coming, looking at a spiritual gifts retreat on May 2nd and 3rd. So that we can all look at our own soil and see where God has gifted every one of us for the work that God has us to do. Other seeds were planted earlier. I I think of the seeds that were planted 51 years ago. And it's so organic in the fact that what we call the kind of seed that's planted, the kind of situation that happens is the breaking of ground. And out of that breaking of ground was grown a church. Aldersgate, United Methodist Church. 51 years ago, 52 years ago, there was a dream. A seed planted and here we are. I think of the seeds that have been planted in some of your souls. Seeds that have emerged as relationships with places like Hammond House and Sophia Way. And even recently, Andrew's Glen. Seeds that were planted around feeding the hungry at crossroads. A seed that was planted 
almost a year and a half ago around potentially having a family wellness center. And that seed has now taken root. And that is beginning to grow. But it began with a seed. In soil that was fertile enough to receive that kind of seed. Then there's a very deeply personal seed that was planted in this church that now I get to experience. About nine or ten months ago, one of our young adults growing up in this church came to us from Thailand and said there is a village and a history within that village and the need for children in that village to be housed and taught, nurtured and loved. And I remember Kara sitting in my office asking about this. And even in the midst of that conversation, I asked Kara to go deeper into her understanding of what that might be and what that might look like and how the church may play a role in that. And she did. And she took that on and created a presentation that we've seen pieces of over the last nine to ten months. That seed took root. It took root because of you. It took root because some of you in the fertileness of your own soil saw the need there and wanting to do something about it. And you donated money for the building of that boarding house. And that boarding house is built. It's coming close to completion. My son's soil, Adam's soil, was not in great shape. He's a, he's a cruise ship driver. And that is an industry and a place where we think, you know, there might be health. Well, it's a tough, anytime you're a mariner, and I don't mean baseball, it's a hard place to live. And he was struggling with a lot of things personally in the midst of being in that industry. And a lot of folks do struggle in the midst of that industry. And I remember the call that came about five to six months ago. And he said, Dad, I want to do something more with my life. I, I'm tired of just receiving money for the work that I do and I want to give back. And I gave him a number of options, thanks to many of you in this church, of where he could go. Ethiopia, the Congo, Thailand, Nepal, Vietnam. And he chose Thailand. And you know why he chose Thailand? was because it's not some big organization. It's the needs of one village with the dream of one individual who can make a difference in the lives of a whole village and to some extent a whole population. And four months ago, he went. We talked two to three times a week. His soil, his soul has been renewed in the midst of that. I've heard things from him that I have never heard him say about that. He sees himself as a servant of God and a servant of humanity. That's thanks to you. A week from today, I get to fly to Thailand thanks to the generosity of some in this church who also offered that to Dorothy and Cora. They can't go. 
but they are sending me out with open arms and love and grace as I go. Two weeks from today, two weeks from a Sunday, I get to go to church in Mesuri, Thailand, serving church and potentially communion with Panchai and walking the 40 feet over to the boarding house and offering a blessing of anointment for anointing for that boarding house on that Sunday. Thanks to you. Thanks to the fertile nation of, of your soul and of your soil. There's more to be done, not just in Thailand, but I want to say thank you for that. And I am anxiously awaiting that trip. But as you hear, there's more to be done. And we can't do it if our soil looks like this. We can't. This is not fertile. This is not watered. This is rocky. And nothing or very little that would be planted in here would take root. I think there are some among us in this place, and I had one show up early this morning for whom this is where their soil is. And what happened between worship services was overwhelming generosity to make sure that that person had food and shelter and clothing. For the next six weeks, for the next six weeks, we're going to do soil examination. And not just examination. For the next six weeks, we're going to talk about how you take what you have and go deeper with your own soil. Next week, I'm going to talk about the parable of the sower. Then the week following, Rachel Shannon's going to, while I'm in Thailand, Rachel Shannon's going to talk about the parable of the weeds. The weed sermon is my favorite sermon to preach every year. This is what she did when I asked her if she could do that sermon. <laughs> it was beautiful. Then the next week, Laura is going to talk about nurturing of soil and how we enhance our soil. And so goes the Sundays of Lent. But it all begins with the recognition that every one of us has needs of nurturing soil within us. And that's where we will go on Wednesday. Friends, what a fertile time for us. And as we enter into that time, as we enter into that time, let's pray. God, we thank you that you have shown us a way to gain health in the very depths of our soul. You have given us an embodiment of your love and grace in Jesus. And as we begin to turn toward communion this morning, that embodiment takes on symbols. God, I ask as we move toward Ash Wednesday this morning, 
that even now you are preparing the soil that is our souls to be weeded and turned upside down, cultivated and tilled, renewed, planted with seeds that can take root for that is what Easter will be about. But I ask your blessing on this time in deep, deep thanksgiving for this church, not just because of Thailand and my ability to go, but because that in throughout the whole history of this church, things like health kits or feeding and clothing surrounding those in need has been a part of the DNA of this church. Help us continue to have fertile soil for whatever it is that you have next. All this we ask in the one who taught and shows us how, Jesus the Christ. Amen.